pray. Gracious Father, would you give us great grace and mercy to understand your word now? I pray for each of our husbands in here, including me, I pray for us. We have an immense task at hand to picture the sacrifice of the ages, to picture the greatest event in the cosmos for all time, forevermore. With our love, we are to display the very thing for which Christ will be praised, time immemorial. And we are insufficient for this task of love. And so, Lord, fuel our thinking with this passage and others. And by degrees, I pray that each of our husbands in here would not only embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but begin to live it out in our marriages such that our wives love you and begin to love what we love. We need grace upon grace for this, and we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Apostle Paul was writing these words to the Ephesian believers, there were two main groups of people he was writing to, Romans and Jews, neither of which had a very good understanding of what love should look like in the home. In the Roman world, public displays of affection were strictly forbidden. In fact, if a public servant showed a public display of affection for his wife, he could be relieved of his duties, and in one case, a man was even executed for kissing his wife in public. Jewish marriage was not that much better. Although the Jewish people had the Old Testament on which to draw, they had wonderful stories like the Book of Ruth. By the time Jesus came along, rabbis had taken those stories twisted them and wrenched them, diced them up. And it was, very, it was a very sad state of affection in marriages among Jewish people. And that was a step up from the Roman version. To the people specifically to whom Paul was writing in Ephesus, marriage was a, a, a thing in complete disarray. Pagan temples were populated with prostitutes. And men with routine would visit the prostitutes as part of their day-to-day -day devotion to their gods. And so when Paul was writing these words to husbands in Ephesus, there were very few positive examples that Paul could point to and say, do it like this. And so Paul is giving each of us men, very clear pictures of how we are supposed to act in marriage. How we're supposed to march. He gives us very clear marching orders. Now for us men, what I want to say today is, everything I'm about to say, I have failed in more ways than I can even imagine. I'm not holding up me as the standard bearer for how to love your wife. I am simply saying these are our commands, and like you, I need grace upon grace to love my wife the way that I'm instructed to love her here. 
The other thing, husbands, I want you to do in entering this passage is I want you to temporarily forget everything you've thought and learned about love. I want you to come to this reading it as though you're reading it for the very first time. Because I think what that will keep us from is a sort of confirmation bias where we go to a passage looking for something that we've already seen or thought. And I want this passage to come to us afresh and help us as we attempt to love our wives. So we're going to first cover, and this will be the last time we cover our definition of Christian marriage. This will help us. Christian marriage is an act of divine creation whereby God unifies a man and woman to complete his image in them as they model the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their actions and affections. And we are to model, husbands, we are to model what Jesus did for us and what Jesus is doing for us by both actions and affections. This word love that we're going to cover today encompasses the scope of both actions and affections. There are acts that are considered by the Bible to be love. And there are affections that are considered by the Bible to be love. It's not one or the other, it's both and and. So as we ponder what we must do, as we see how Paul specifies what loving actions and actions look like, affections and actions look like, may God give us grace. I've got four points, if you want to write them down ahead of time. We've got uh, some repeated ideas. We've got patterns, purposes, and practical applications. Repeated ideas patterns, purposes, and practical applications. Let's go to gospel love and the repeated ideas that are here in this passage. Man, I want you to look right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32, and the first thing we notice is the repetition of the word love. Okay? Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have... Um, font markers to add emphasis. There were no exclamation marks or underlinings or italicized or bold letters. The way that a writer would emphasize something was to repeat it. Twice is considered sufficient. Three times, anytime something is repeated three times, it's considered something to be dramatically repetitive. And I want us to notice here, that Paul uses the word agape, agapeo, six times in this little section. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy without blemish in the same way husbands should love, that's number three, their lives as their own bodies, he who loves, number four, loves his wife, number five. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You could even argue that nourish and cherish add two more to the tally, but we won't. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, then we go down. However, let each one of you love his wife as he loves himself. So, gentlemen, what point do you think Paul is trying to get across here? To do what? To love. To love. 
Yet how often we begin to substitute love for the thing that we're good at. How often we substitute love for the thing that we're good at. Our wives want us to love them, to be inside, to listen to them, to talk to them. And instead we go to the garage to repair the car or cut perfectly straight lines in the yard. And let me tell you, I like a good straight line in the front yard. We escape to the woods to kill deer and eat them. (laughs) Maybe you don't even eat them. Maybe you give the meat away. Now, none of those pursuits in and of themselves are bad. It's hobbies. They're wonderful acts of recreation. You could even argue to yourself that you're providing for your family and doing those things. But I think we all understand that very often those things are excuses to get us out of the one thing that's so hard for us to do and that we're commanded here to do six times. I want us to notice this singular devotion. We pointed this out in adult Sunday school. If you want to go back and listen to that, you can. The New American Standard actually brings this out. I won't attempt to do it in here in uh, our English Standard versions. But very frequently, five times as a matter of fact, the word says his own wife. His own. Okay? Love is a repeated theme, and his own is repeated five times. And gentlemen, again, we can't love our wives in a way other than loving her exclusively. We're looking at other women and loving other women. We can't, by definition, be loving our own wives. Love is an exclusive, exclusive command to love only our wives. Only. Number three, Paul sets aside clear patterns. I want us to notice the words as or in the same way or just as. Let's count them up. Husbands, love your wives. Here's one. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and clean, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So you can see, and we could go on, you can see that what the Apostle Paul is doing is drawing very clear pictures, as, just as, in this way. When a few years ago, um, um, as a hobby, I like to do some woodworking. There's a phenomenal invention out there. It's called saw stop. Now, allow me to bore you with a detail. Actually, it's not boring. It's awesome. Okay? Go onto YouTube and watch it. Did you know the number one injury for woodworking is by sticking your finger into the table saw blade? Now, the table saw blade will chop your finger off faster than fast. Okay? It's really fast. Okay? 
Well, there's a company, and they came up with technology to sense when your finger, and not wood, hits the blade. And I saw on YouTube a high-speed video. It was an 80-tooth blade spinning at full speed. One blade touched the man, the, the owner, the inventor, stuck his own finger in the saw. I couldn't believe it. They had a high-speed camera on it. One blade nicked his finger, and before the next blade hit his finger, the blade stopped. It's amazing. You should go look at, at YouTube after the sermon is over. Please not right now. <laughs> well, I got one of those because I don't trust myself, and I knew it was only a matter of time before I put my finger in the blade. Okay? With that really neat tool came a full-color, 100-page, very meticulously organized user's manual. It has pictures. It has diagrams. It has designs. I have never seen anything so thorough. I read it like it was a Charles Dickens novel. I know. Now, guys, God is giving you very clear instructions. Just as this. Just like that. Just as this. He is not leaving us in the dark of how to operate our marriages. Love your own wife just as. And then our last reported, uh, repeated element is that our marriages are to be purpose-driven. I like that Paul did this because I think as men we need a purpose. It's hard for us to do a task with no ultimate end. And your love has three purposes. Now again, our translation does a pretty good job of bringing this out. They could make it a little more clear. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then right here at the beginning of verse 25, that. You might want to circle that. It's the Greek word hina, or in order that. And then we have another one in verse 27. So that he might. So that. It's the same Greek word, hina. And then we go down later on in the verse that she might be holy and holy and without blemish. That's the same thing, okay? That, it's the same hina. And it's, it's in order that, in order that, in order that. And there's three of them right in a row. You might want to circle them. It's the same idea. So men, we are commanded to love our own wives just as Christ so that. Okay? And he repeats this over and over and over again. A clear command with obvious parallels unto a purpose. Okay? Does everybody see that from your text? Now, let's move forward to the patterns. I told you there were two patterns that Christ wants us to follow, that Christ wants us men to follow in Loving our wives. And the first one is we are to love as Christ loved. Right here. In chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. 
as Christ loved. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul puts that word loved in the past tense because he is pointing to the singular act that Christ did in becoming a man and dying on a cross. Now Paul, I think, in fact later he's going to allude to this, but he would of course say we need to love our wives as Christ continues to love the church. But right here he's pointing backward to a singular act of self-sacrifice that was for a sinner, for a group of sinners, for a world of sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, the unjust for the just. He says right here that we are to love as Christ loved and gave him over, gave himself over. Now again, I think you should probably insert a little comment here into your translation so you know what the word really says. It says this, as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for betrayal for her benefit. He handed himself over for her benefit. When the mob came to get Jesus, they showed up with their men and their clubs and their intimidation. Jesus said, who are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. You know what they did? They fell flat. Earlier, Jesus had told them, don't you think I could call hundreds of thousands of angels to defend me at this moment? He allowed them the delusion of thinking they had taken him captive. Meanwhile, he was in control the entire time. He had handed himself over for betrayal, for others' benefit. We need to note the object of Christ's love. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we're told that Christ didn't die for us when we were good people. He died for us when we were sinners. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul lists this huge assortment of sins, idolatry, evil, wickedness, um, immorality of all types. And he says, and some such, were, some such were some of you. But you're washed. You're cleansed. So, fellas, let us pretend for a moment that your wife is all in the wrong and you are all in the right. The sacrifice that you made never more looks like the gospel than that. Does that make sense? It doesn't get us off the hook to say my wife is all wrong and I'm all right. It actually only furthers the obligation because that's when we most look like Christ. 
But I'm hard-pressed to think of any situations where my wife was all wrong and I was all right. That never happens. And I'm on record as saying that, okay? My wife is in children's church, and you just tell her right after the service, that's what I said. <laughs> now, I think if Paul were to have left it there, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you know what we would come away with? I think we would come away with that as love, as sort of a grim sacrifice. Okay, fine. I will soldier through that, and we can take this sort of stoic, uh, martyr-like view of love. I will do it, and I will soldier through. That's not exactly what Paul has in mind, because he's about to go on. He's going to give us a second pattern. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And love your wife as you love yourself. Well, how do I love myself? Well, Paul says, you nourish and you cherish yourself. So, fellas, I got a question for you. How many of you primped in front of the mirror before coming to church today? Any primping take place in front of the mirror? I primped. I won't tell you how long I primped, but I did. I ironed my pants because you can't have your pastor wearing wrinkled pants when he's preaching, taking care of myself. I, I went over to the Maverick and had, oh, these are delicious, a sausage breakfast burrito. They're really good, non-sponsored from the Maverick. They're delicious. <laughs> if they have the burnt-in ones, I always go for that one though they are a little pricier. But do yourself a favor, next time you see one of those, just enjoy, and you can thank me later. Actually, buy me one and bring it over to the house, and then enjoy your own. We take care of ourselves, we nurture ourselves, we do ourselves a lot of favors. But then Paul's going to go on and specify, he says to nourish our wives as we nourish ourselves. This word nourish is an interesting word, it's an amazing word. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this is the word that Nathan used when setting up that story for David. Remember he had that little ewe lamb that he raised at his table and fed it? Yesterday, we have a little box of newborn kittens. Yes, last, uh, two nights ago, one of the cats uh, found itself outside the box and got too cold and almost died. My wife found it yesterday morning, half dead and almost frozen. My wife brought the kitten inside the house, took a heating blanket, wrapped up the cat, and put her mouth and blew warm air onto that kitten and nourished that kitten back to life. That's the word. That's our word. Cherish. It actually means to coddle. As a mother warms her young. This is of a, a bird that, uh, a mother bird that sits on her eggs to warm them. Okay? So, Paul says, men, I know you take care of yourself. He says, I'm kind of a rough, tough guy. I don't, 
I don't take care of myself. Oh, really now? Perhaps we should take a tour of your garage. Perhaps we should take a tour of your car or of your workspace or of whatever your hobby is. And I think we'll very quickly see some nourishing and cherishing, won't we? So Paul gives two very clear pictures. Love sacrificially as Christ loved. And even if she is all wrong and you are all right, never have you been more like Christ. Nourish her. Supply her. Warm her. Coddle her. Care for her. Meet her needs. Protect her. Provide for her. Now let's Stop in our minds right there now, okay? Could every, almost every unbelieving man on planet Earth agree that it would be good to love and provide for and protect your wife? Could, could the world agree to that? Okay. I have a story for you guys. I want you to, this is a, I was in a race one time. All honesty, I can't remember what the distance of the race was. It was either a 10K or it was a marathon. I don't remember which. But we were nearing the halfway mark of the race, okay? And I was running with this group of guys, and right as we were getting to the halfway mark, which was also the uh, doubled as the finish line, so you ran past that mark, which was halfway, and you did a loop and you came back through to the finish line. A local bar had a sign that said, Enough is enough. Why keep going? Free drinks for anybody who stops now. <laughs> the two guys, who were good runners, were running in front of me. They looked at the sign. They looked at each other. One said to the other, what do you think? And the other said, let's do it. And they walked right off the course to enjoy their free beverage. <laughs> well, Ordinarily, we would call those guys really ambitious, right? They had gone out and run miles. I don't remember the distance. It was either 3.1 miles at that point or 13.1 at that point. But they'd run a long way before most people in this world had gotten out of bed. And we would say, that's pretty ambitious. But compared to what their goals were in the morning, before they started that race, did they make it? No. They fell short. They chased a quick pleasure over finishing what they'd set out to do. And if we limit our love of our wives to be loving and providing and protecting, that's like the two guys who stopped the race at the halfway mark. Because we have three goals that God has given each of us guys in the loving and providing and protecting. And here are the three goals, our three purposes. Number one, our goal is sanctification. It says right here that we are to, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is the process wherein God uses his word to make us as holy as we've been declared to be. Now, gentlemen, I want us to notice what Paul says is the appropriate tool for this job. It's not our nagging or browbeating or anger. It's the word of the living God. 
And so our purpose in loving and providing and protecting is to use this means of the Word of God and to let the Word of God reign and sanctify our wives and ourselves. The second purpose that we have is that in, that, in the end, we are responsible to present her to God. And the, the idea here is of a religious sacrifice. In fact, we're told that at the end of the days, Christ will present the bride to the Father. And so, guys, we have a, an end in sight. I think the best illustration of this would be the four-way inspection at the parsonage. The inspector came and he did things, and I eagerly looked over the list to see if anything was on the list that I had done. There's a reckoning. There's a day of reckoning coming. And God is going to inspect your work. God is, as real as I'm standing here, going to say to you, Sir, bring your bride forward and present her. Because I want to see how well she was sanctified with my word. The third thing, is for purification. Purification. The idea, he says right here, that she might be holy and without blemish. The idea is that there be no obvious defect. This is the word that was used for, say, a lamb that had a broken leg. You were not allowed to use that lamb in sacrifice. It was not blameless. It was not, it was not pure. It, it, or you have a, 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 a cow that has a blemish on it, a skin defect. You were not allowed to use that in worship. It had a blemish. And the only things that were good for acceptable presentation was something, an offering, without obvious blemish or wrinkle or spot. And so men, again, our purpose, our purpose is to so let the word fill and wash our homes that it sanctifies us and changes us. And both we and our spouses become usable sacrifices in the Lord's service. And guys, God is holding us accountable for that process. Now, certainly wives will be accountable for their role. But God is looking to the husbands to be the initiator and the leader in this process. So that brings us to our practical applications. I've got four. I'll go through them fairly quickly. In short, guys, we're called to love our wives such that they begin to share in our singular love of God. If you were to ask my kids who their favorite college football team is, they might not know the answer to that question, but I know what they would say. They would say, the South Carolina Gamecocks. You know why they would love the South Carolina Gamecocks? Even though we lost yesterday. You know why they would love them? Because their dad loves them. Okay. People who admire you 
which is what your wives have been called to do, will begin to love the things that you love because they admire you. And so, guys, our marching orders is first and foremost to love the Lord, but then to transfer that love of the Lord to the love of our wives such that she begins to love our singular love. Such that she begins to love the God that we love and serve. That's not heavy-handed. That's not browbeating. It's not manipulative. It's nothing of the sort. It's commendable, respectful, gentle, by and large, leading by example, taking the initiative, so that our brides begin to love. Not that they don't already begin, so that they begin anew to love the things that we love. That's our task. The second thing I want us, you guys to accept, and me to accept, is that we have a distinctly spiritual commission. We have a spiritual commission. We're so... I don't know about you guys, I am so victimized by what I see. And, and what I want is often a product of what I see. But God here is saying, I, I, I don't want you to worry about the seen as much as the unseen. I want you to think about her heart. I want you to think about her love for the Lord. I want you to think about how the word of God is reigning in your home. I want you to think about attitudes and affections. I, I want you to accept the spiritual aspect of your calling and accept that that's where the work is done. And that is hard for us to accept because I think we all like to do things that we see the results and when we invest in spiritual things, we don't always see the results immediately. They kind of sneak up, and then suddenly we're like, oh, wow, I was there. So we need to accept the spiritual nature of our calling. Number three, love is both objective and subjective. Okay? We must listen to God and to our wives for how to love, <laughs> and rarely to ourselves. Okay? What do I mean by that? There are certain acts of love that are very easily defined. Love is sacrifice. Love is giving. Love is kind. Love is a disposition to do things and please and be helpful. They're all very easy definitions to understand. But what would communicate love to your wife tonight? If you were to ask her at, say, 5 o'clock, honey, what would make you feel really loved right now? And I, if you asked her that, I can just about guarantee the answer would probably be a little surprising to you. Okay, I would think, back in my early years of marriage, I would have thought, I need to go to the store and get her a box of chocolates and surprise her with it. She would love that. Now, would she love chocolates? Well, of course. But what would really make her feel loved would be to clean the kitchen. Okay? Or to give her a little time and watch the kids. Or to 
do something that would make her life a little easier that maybe I hadn't previously thought of. And so when we're trying to determine those subjective things, if we're listening to ourselves, we're probably erring. And so we need to listen to the person that will tell us how to do that. God tells us how to do it in Christ Jesus through his word, and our wives will tell us how to do that if we ask and listen. I hate to let you guys down, but let me say something really, really complicated. It took me a few years, several years to figure out in marriage. Okay, you guys ready? It took me like a decade to figure this out. Okay, you guys ready? Guys, you didn't marry a dude. <laughs> I know. I know. You didn't. She doesn't think like a dude. She doesn't talk like a dude. She doesn't reason like a dude. Act accordingly, okay? <laughs> That's why you need to listen to God who made her and to her. And the last, the most common love killers that I found, both in my own heart and in working with others, are what Paul calls youthful lusts. It would be lust, covetousness, addiction to fun, and extended adolescence. Okay. It's hard for a woman to admire a man in his mid-40s who's acting like he's 19. And when your wife doesn't admire a, a man in his mid-40s acting like he's 19, he can't figure out why. Extended adolescence has really harmed more marriages than imaginable. Lust, you can't love your own wife if you're loving somebody else. Covetousness, whether that be with your career, or your time, or your stuff. The disease of more really racks marriages. Addiction to fun. That's probably a subset of extended adolescence, but it's there. Addiction to fun. So, fellas, we've been given clear marching orders by the grace of God to love our wives such that we picture the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we nourish and cherish her so that her sanctification is helped. Now, last thought, but the most important thought. Okay? How many of us feel totally overwhelmed by the mission we've been given today? Okay? Uh, my hand is up. Anybody? Okay. If we're feeling overwhelmed, that's okay. The only way to begin to model the gospel is to meditate on the gospel. Opening up God's word and listening to what God says about you and about your position in Christ. 
and how you as an unworthy sinner have been redeemed. Called. Loved. Adopted. And that, the response that we have to that grace then starts to change and fuel how we interact with our wives. Well, guys, I'd love to chat with you about this if you have any questions. Something I forgot to mention um, earlier um, uh, in the announcement time, but kind of go along, goes along with this. Uh, for the next several weeks, um, on Wednesday mornings at 6.30, I'm going to be down at the North Ogden Beans and Brews. Why the North Ogden Beans and Brews? Because it's usually empty at that time of the day, and we'll have the whole place to ourselves. No obligation. We'd love to have you there. We're going to just hang out in fellowship at 7 o'clock sharp. I'm going to talk about a resource that's been helpful to me. Some of those in there will be resources that have helped me as a husband. If you want to come and hang out a little bit, that's great. We'll be done at 7.30, and you can be off to work. If you have to be gone by 7 to get to work, that's fine too. But I'll be there. If one guy comes, fantastic. If no guys come, I'll work on my sermon for the following week. So it's a win-win either way. Okay? But I'd love to see you at 6.30, and we're going to do that for the next several weeks when we can have some fellowship together. Okay? All right. Well, let's pray, and then Nathan is going to come and close us in a song. Father, would you give us grace to meditate such on the gospel that it begins to shape our marriages. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.